On Wednesday, January 6th, 2021, my wife and I were eating lunch with my parents as we took the first week off for a vacation. Like the typical media-savvy guy I am, I decided I'd share a picture of my lunch on Facebook. The first thing that came up on my feed when I logged in was a video from a Canadian friend. The video had the following caption, and I kid you not, here's what it said. What the fuck is wrong with the United States? The video showed a mob raiding the Capitol building. There were Trump flags in the crowd. One of the flags even said, Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president. But in the crowd, there were also white flags that had a green tree in the center. These are appeal to heaven flags, and they are connected to a church that is a part of the new apostolic reformation, which I covered in past episodes. Matthew Taylor from the podcast series Charismatic Revival Fury puts it this way. If you've looked at any images of the crowds surrounding the Capitol that day, one of the most overlooked and underanalyzed details is how many of those appeal to heaven flags there were in the crowd. They're easy to identify because of the stark white background and the green tree at the center. And once you begin to notice them, you realize they are everywhere. There must be dozens of them, maybe even hundreds. One of the most visible markers of a connection between the New Apostolic Reformation and the crowds of rioters and riot sympathizers that day is the presence of this legion of appeal to heaven flags. Dutch sheets would also, beginning in December 2020, become a regular with his friend Lance Wallnow on the Victory Channel's Flashpoint show that we talked about in the previous episode. If you go and look at the Facebook feeds of the many Christians who are there in the crowds surrounding the Capitol on January 6th, you will find in the vast majority that I've seen video clips from Flashpoint, Facebook live streams from Lance Wallnow, and daily give him 15 updates from Dutch Sheets. If you want to know what media was driving people to Washington, D.C. on January 6th, it wasn't just One America News Network or Trump's Twitter feed. It was this bombardment on charismatic media and podcasts saying the real spiritual battle will be at the Capitol. My wife and I both watched in horror at the battle that took place in Washington, D.C. My parents, using their Android tablet, quickly verified if this was fake news or not through the Globe and Mail and the National Post. Our lunch conversation was not very upbeat that day. My wife and I took a walk afterwards, and I told her I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed by the events of what happened. I told her about a book I was reading called Jesus and John Wayne, written by Professor Kristen Cobez Dumay, which is why January 6th never blindsided me. When she learned about the racist rise of evangelicalism in America, we both discussed what we could do to at least try to voice things out on our personal blogs. Also, if anyone wants another good book about the history and the ideologies that helped cause January 6th to happen, check out Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next by Dr. Brad Onishi, host of the podcast Straight White American Jesus. This episode is released exactly three years to the day when America could have fallen to the GOP. Three years to the day, a majority of Christians, 
took the Lord's name in vain. And I don't mean saying, oh my God, because truly taking God's name in vain is using his name to promote neoliberal interests. Three years to the day that my spirituality, my faith in the church, and faith in Christianity was very much challenged. And the church's reaction to those events only made me want to leave quicker. When I talked to my small group members, their replies were to be expected. It's the media! Not all Christians do this! Aren't we all flawed? My Jesus would never allow this to happen! When I heard all this, I didn't argue. I didn't say that they were wrong. We went about our Bible study like the past few days ago was just another bad news day. When I figured out that every single church that I used to be connected with back in the day never publicly responded to the events of January 6th or condemned Christian nationalism publicly, I realized that there was something else going on. And that something else is also facts and stories that the news will never ever report. The Christian role in the Capitol riot. Today, dear listener, we're going to cover the tough topic of spiritual warfare and its history. We're also going to do a quick review of the charismatic New Apostolic Reformation fury that took place three years ago. If at any time during this episode you need a break or to stop listening, take care of yourself as this episode will contain descriptions of violence and violent language. It won't be an easy listening, and it will also get quite meaty or possibly even messy. But this is how we do at Spirituality Challenged. Welcome to Spirituality Challenged, dear listener. I'm your host, Aaron Parsons. On this podcast, we uncover the rarely discussed history and expose sources behind controversial Christian ideologies while speaking truth to power. We try to cover as much ground within an hour on one topic in each episode, so sit back, relax, and prepare to be challenged. So when looking into the history of how spiritual warfare became a thing, I figured out the clue behind this weird, edgy feature of the New Apostolic Reformation that came from the very name of the most outlandish figures I've ever seen in the January 6th insurrection. The QAnon Shaman, or Shaman, because what he did was shameful, man! <laughs> Uh, come on, we need to have a laugh at least once while doing this podcast, because things can get dark really fast. So, what is spiritual warfare? The problem with searching for a definition about spiritual warfare on the internet is that the actual term is a mayonnaise quote on the practices of an actual occult practice called shamanism. If you type into Bing, Google, Start Page, or even a customized chat GPT, what is spiritual warfare, you're going to get information from primarily Pentecostal web pages. If you're an evangelical or Pentecostal listening to this, knowing that the root of spiritual warfare is shamanism should actually prompt you to ask questions whether a core component of your faith is truthful, let alone sinful or not. See, through many cultures and times, even in the Bible, 
People believed gods controlled everything, so spiritual warfare is humans trying to take control of the gods. So, what most Benihini kind of churches do is actually a white colonized and misappropriated form of shamanism. If you're not convinced, let's look at it this way. Shamanism is a system of religious practice. Historically, it's often associated with indigenous and tribal societies. Shamanism is a tradition of part-time religious specialists who establish and maintain relations with specific spiritual beings through the use of controlled and culturally scripted altered states of consciousness. Shamans employ powers derived from spirits to heal sickness, to manifest resources for a community, to guide the dead to their final destinations, like heaven, hell, or some kind of purgatory kind of place, to influence animals and forces of nature in a way that benefits their communities, and to initiate assaults on enemies, and to protect their own communities from external aggression. The other point I want to make is that the origins of this line of thinking actually are not discovered by one person or tribe. The earliest traceable ideas that angels and demons do battle comes from the influence of something that is kind of hard to pronounce, but I'm going to try it anyway. It's called Zoroastrianism. Let's call it Zism. I'll leave the terminology in the podcast description if you need to know what I'm saying. This was around in Judaism during the Babylonian exile. And there are probably other sources of this kind of thinking that came before that, and I'm open to being corrected or adding to this part of the episode, so send your emails and I'll make sure I have complete information for you. I also think we should note that in polytheistic religions, which includes early Hebrew religion, the problem of evil wasn't actually in focus because the gods were not by nature good. They were just powerful. Some were better than others. Some were vindictive and unpredictable, and thus bad things happened to a lot of marginalized people. Humans were either punished by the gods, or they got caught in the middle of not doing something good. So Persian Zism introduced the idea of a main good god and a main bad god. It also claimed that the two were locked in a cosmic battle. These influences influenced Jewish thought, along with some Greek philosophy, and by the time we see monotheism take root, there had to be some theological reason to explain why bad things happen to people. And by that point, some spiritual entities were actually downgraded to angels and demons rather than full-fledged gods and goddesses. Now, a key belief found in shamanistic practice is that ultimately everything and everyone is interconnected. From plants, to trees, to rocks, to animals, to caves, everything is all part of a collective in some way. In addition, everything has its own spirit or soul, and can be connected in the spirit realm. This kind of thinking allows the shaman to take action between the physical world and the realm of other beings, taking the role as vessel or connector. In addition, because they can travel between the physical and spirit realms, a shaman is typically someone who shares prophecies with their communities. These messages may be something simple and individually focused, but other times, they get up on a soapbox and give a message to their entire community. And in some cultures, a shaman is consulted for their insight and guidance before any major decision is made by a group of governing authorities or village elders. Finally, shamans often serve as healers. 
They can repair ailments in the physical body by healing imbalances or repairing damage to a person's spirit. This can be done by simple prayers or through dancing, singing, or backflips or other kinds of gymnastics. Because illness is believed to come from bad spirits, the shaman will work to drive the negative beings out of a person's body and protect the individual from further harm. It's important to note that shamanism isn't a religion. It's actually considered, by some scholars, a collection of rich spiritual practices that are influenced by the context of the culture in which it exists. Now, before we go further, dear listener, take a few moments to check out our first episode of the podcast where I discuss the link between New Age shamanism practices and John Dowie, William Seymour, and how it all led to Bill Johnson. While that episode focuses on Pentecostalism, I want to briefly touch on the beginnings of the New Apostolic Reformation. A man called C. Peter Wagner had this vision that Christianity will be led by an oligarchy of modern-day prophets and apostles in the 21st century. The vision also had something, thanks to a man named Lance Wallnau, called the Seven Mountains Mandate, where the New Apostolic Reformation will rule over seven pillars of society from the top down. They'll rule the mountains of family, religion, government, education, media, business, and entertainment. And lastly, the vision included the NARS version of shamanism, which is the primary method to take over the world, spiritual warfare. Wagner retired from Fuller Seminary to build a big network of charismatic non-denominational church leaders. That network has grown and expanded over the last 20 years. And yes, I was part of this in Canada. And before Wagner died, he encouraged everyone who followed him through a Facebook post to vote for Donald Trump. Because he saw the billionaire being used by God to bring America back to its so-called Christian roots. So we need to talk about a term called being charismatic. The term charismatic comes from the Greek word in the New Testament called charismata, which means graces or gifts of God. The focus is on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if an NAR person is spirit-filled, they claim to have superpowers that come from God. These superpowers involve seeing and communicating with angels and demons, prophesying, healing the sick, teaching with biblical knowledge that is focused on the spiritual rather than the applicable, and intense spiritual warfare. However, being charismatic isn't just about doing quirky, shamanishy kind of things to show that God exists. It also involves chasing and eventually participating in events or places that have intense spiritual activity based on certain hopeful prophecies that are spoken in NAR churches or gatherings. Most of the time, these hopeful prophecies indicate God's going to show up and do something that will change the status quo or that it will change a culture or activity that evangelicals in general don't like. I'm calling up the Minutemen. I'm calling up the Minutemen, the kingdom militia, to get on the wall, to get on the place, to move across this nation and even out of this Keystone State, even out of Pennsylvania. There is rising up a militia that is connecting to the, the, the battlefield states that will uncover, even beginning this night, the fraud, the corruption, the infiltration of evil from Pennsylvania. 
Elisha men, the minute men of the kingdom of God are rising up in this hour. And Father, we declare and decree in this place that there is no demon in hell and there is no voice out of government that can topple the kingdom of our God. For our king is the righteous one. Deal with me. principalities. The ecclesia now reveals the multifaceted wisdom of God. God said to you, I have the stomach to finish the job. Put your foot on his chin and expose the neck. Pick up that weapon and find you are strong enough to wield it. Finish this. Finish this. Finish this! But God said the strong man of the Supreme Court must be made stronger by those who decree from heaven's court. Expose the neck, swing the sword, finish the job. For God says, no chicken-legged Philistine is going to become the most powerful political leader in the world. No! The last thing I'll mention when it comes to being charismatic is that many times a preemptive spiritual warfare takes place because NAR or Pentecostal or charismatic folks are furious, and they are tired of God not moving in a place, or they're tired of what they see as sin happening in a place or some kind of culture that they care about. So they go to certain places or events to literally do battle with demons that they sense are basically taking over or have taken over a place or event. Part of the reason why there were tons of religious folks at January 6th was not just the obvious fact that they wanted to see American become more Christian again. It wasn't just the fact that they wanted the country taken back for God or Donald Trump. They were always pissed off over the state of America since the 60s or even earlier, and have always been uncomfortable with the progressive moves our world in general has undergone. So yeah, tourist visit or Antifa arguments? Nah. Not true at all. So how does one get spiritual authority to do prophetic or apostolic shaman kind of acts? Who becomes a spiritual warrior and how? Dear listener, if you said Jesus, well, your answer is only partially correct. The New Apostolic Reformation has a set of ideas called Dominion Theology. Dominion Theology is very controversial because it isn't based on being a good Christian or loving God or your neighbor. It's based on dominance. The basic idea is that in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve have dominion over the earth and its creation as caretakers. But after they eat from the tree, they not only disobeyed God, they gave up their authority over the earth to the devil. So throughout the Old Testament, the devil has dominion, but then Jesus comes does his thing, and after dying on the cross, he takes the authority away from Satan after defeating him in spiritual battle and gives that authority back to Christians who confess that Jesus is Lord. 
So thinking back on this, Christians aren't just given the mandate to spread the gospel, evangelize, or tell people about Jesus, or heal people, or do good works. Because the thing is, Jesus took the authority from Satan, but not the dominion. So humans were assigned to do spiritual warfare, to take dominion back from the devil and his demons, and restore the original rule over the earth that was for Adam and Eve. Pretty crazy, right? The thing about dominion theology is that it has something called a victorious eschatology, which has to do with the end of the world. A victorious eschatology means the church has won its dominion back spiritually. Christians have made immense progress in bringing heaven to earth and building the kingdom of God all over the world. In a sense, Christians are winning the ultimate fight to take dominion back for God. And this doesn't mean that people aren't opposing Christianity or that the entire world is under a theocracy. It simply means that the fight isn't over until Christ comes back a second time. So now that Christians have this theology and authority to do spiritual warfare, Wagner outlines what kind of spiritual warfare the prophets and apostles are allowed to do. So number one, there's personal spiritual warfare, which involves putting on the armor of God to fight demons that are harassing you as an individual. My mom educated my sister and I in this particular spiritual warfare when we were kids. She used to walk us through this ritual we did before we go to Catholic school. She would have us say the following while miming the actions based on Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, belt of truth, sword of the spirit, and putting on her feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. So Christians, using personal virtue as armor, stand against the schemes of the devil, armed with the Bible and the Holy Spirit as weapons. They consistently battle demons that they feel are always trying to attack them. It's kind of a paranoid thing, if you will. Second, there's the idea of exercising demons, which I will not go deep into just because it can cause some trauma. This simply means that someone with the armor of God and a weapon of prayers in the Bible, they can command a demon to get out of someone so that they will be set free from a curse or something a demon has actually done to a person being exercised. Number three, and this is where it gets intense. People in the New Apostolic Reformation believe all of this, but on another level, they believe there are angels and demons that are attached to real-world phenomena in human practices. The enemies of Christians in this case are not just demons or spirits, but they are actual devilish human actors and communities that have embodied or incorporated some kind of evil. Usually this idea refers to things like Satanism or the occult or witchcraft. So in cases like this, apostles and prophets would do occult spiritual warfare. Occult spiritual warfare is literally hunting for occult practices or objects like an Ouija board or a non-Christian temple and preying against the spirits associated with the place or group. As much as some people, especially in evangelicalism, think these kind of acts are done in love and are done for the glory of God, 
they can actually be very harmful and traumatic, especially towards certain groups of people just wanting to understand spirituality or people just trying to live their normal lives not even thinking about what's going on in the spirit realm. What person in their right mind goes around randomly telling things or people they don't like, you demon get out in Jesus' name? Sadly, this form of theology, even just in tone, is a big part of most evangelical churches today. In the beginning, Dominionists consisted of Paul Ryrick and Jerry Falwell operating in secret who encouraged Christians to get connected with the Heritage Foundation, ALEC, the Council for National Policy, and the Alliance for Defending Freedom. But now, through Lance Wallnau's ideas of Dominion theology being spread throughout Christian ministries and the marketplace, the Seven Mountains Mandate has been successful in taking away rights and freedoms of various marginalized groups of people. In fact, big examples of this taking effect is through the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the appointing of Amy Coney Barrett as judge, and how Mike Johnson became Speaker of the House. And it's all thanks to Peter Wagner. Jesus delegated establishing his kingdom to us. What do I mean? To you and to me. We are the ones who are, the, who are supposed to bring this about. Which brings us to the dominion mandate. <laughs> now, first of all, I want to point out these two words, dominion and mandate. The word mandate, you've got to understand, mandate means an authoritative order or command. It doesn't mean a good idea. It doesn't mean a suggestion. It means an authoritative order. Dominion has to do with control. Dominion has to do with rulership. Dominion has to do with authority and subduing. And it relates to society. Dominion means being the head and not the tail. Dominion means ruling as kings. It says in Revelation chapter 1, 6 that he has made us kings and priests. And check the rest of that verse. It says for dominion. So why do shamans have to be in a certain place in order to perform certain practices or spiritual things? It's because they often associate specific locations with spiritual significance, believing that certain places possess unique energy or connections to the spirit realm. Think of geographical locations like gateways or certain buildings being literal vessels for energy or angelic entities. Performing rituals in these locations is supposed to enhance their effectiveness, kind of like Eleven in Stranger Things in a salt-filled water tank. Additionally, environmental factors and symbolism can play a role in shaping the ritual experience. It's a cultural and spiritual belief that varies across different traditions and practices, including New Age spirituality and the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, speaking of which... There was something that the NAR did in the late 90s, which I call freeing the 1040 window. I'll let Matt Taylor give us some context. All this can sound absurd and silly, but these folks really believe it. In fact, to take one major example, in the late 1990s, Wagner and his cohort of prophets and strategic spiritual warriors came to believe that there was a major territorial spirit called the Queen of Heaven who had power over all of Central Asia and was blocking Christian evangelism from making progress in that region. This was all tied up with the concept of the 1040 window, and Wagner believed that if they could dethrone the Queen of Heaven, 
then Christianity would spread rapidly into Central Asia. One of the prophets, and I'm not making this up, had a vision that the Queen of Heaven had a particular stronghold in a spiritual castle on Mount Everest. And one day, the Lord said to me, I joined hands with Peter Wagner in the Spiritual Warfare Network, and we were praying at that time for a window called the 1040 window. How many of you remember the 1040 window? The 1040 window was the least evangelized area in the world. And it was the last year we were praying, not majors, breakthrough were happening. And I was crying to the Lord, I said, Lord, we have been crying for years for this 1040 window. And the Lord told me, you're never going to have a breakthrough unless you bring down the stronghold that controls the 1040 window. And that stronghold is on Mount Everest. Wow. And he came to me and he says, would you climb Mount Everest for me to deliver the 1040 window? So this team decided that it had to climb Mount Everest in order to spiritually defeat the dreaded Ice Queen in a conquest called Operation Ice Castle. And it sure was risky. Some of the team were only able to climb 13,000 feet, while the rest of the team made it to 20,000 in the mountain. Dr. Taylor interviewed some of the prophets who were in Operation Ice Castle, and they were pumped to share that God was doing amazing things in the 1040 window region ever since they came back from Mount Everest. They were truly committed believers in Dominion theology, and they know that deep down, they didn't just fight with prayer in the spirit realm on Mount Everest where the Queen was located. They believed they were able to advance the gospel, or at least the NAR way of Christianity, throughout every country in the 1040 window. If people in the New Apostolic Reformation are this dedicated to doing spiritual warfare in a dangerous place like Mount Everest, then it shouldn't surprise you that these crazy people could easily have participated in the ultimate spiritual battle of the last few years, January 6th, 2021. As soon as the news hit the New Apostolic Reformation that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, a large group of prophets and apostles went to every single church they could in what they call the Reawaken America Tour. They went to NAR churches in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada, and New Mexico. They traveled not only to do intense prayer and worship rallies with violent spiritual warfare in their language, but to metaphorically tear down any spiritual stronghold related to the past election while calling Biden and the Democrats demons and practicers of the occult. Some were also doing spiritual warfare during the Stop the Steal rallies beforehand as well. During the tour, Don Lynch, another apostle, had a prophetic dream that an army went to the government buildings in Washington, D.C. and won a spiritual battle that would help Trump take back America. After the dream, the Reawaken America tour also included Dutch Sheets, an apostle from Colorado Springs, doing YouTube rants every single day as part of a playlist called Give Him 15. 
These videos have at least 100k views every single day. Some of his rants included what to pray, requests from people with appeal to heaven flags to show up in Washington, and for many other prophets and apostles, joining them in doing spiritual warfare at the Capitol building. But before the chaos erupted that day, there was a team that went to Washington with Sheets and Becca Greenwood. Eight days before the Capitol insurrection, on December 29th, 2020, a group of 15 apostles and prophets, including Dutch Sheets and Becca Greenwood, two of the members of Peter Wagner's Eagles Vision Apostolic Team, toured around Washington, D.C., doing spiritual warfare at different monuments. That afternoon, they had a more than two-hour meeting with high-level Trump administration officials in a conference room in the White House. This meeting has never been reported on before. How did these new apostolic reformation leaders get that access? What were they doing there in the lead up to January 6th? Who did they meet with? So far as I can find, neither Dutch Sheets nor Becca Greenwood has ever spoken publicly about this meeting. It's pretty clear that this was not supposed to be public knowledge, but others who were there with them have not been quite so careful tight-lipped. We would also uh, pray at the White House. Um, we were uh, permitted to do that, and we had a two-hour time to pray at the White House and make some decrees that God had given to us. Uh, a strategy was given to us from people in the know around there that I cannot really talk about. But, but that's, um, the, the team came together and we followed the dream and uh, ended up at the White House for much longer than we were scheduled to be there. And um, it was a very powerful time. We were at the White House for a couple of hours of things that um, were rather amazing. At the highest levels of our nation, God is not only speaking, but he's being heard. We need, we need a, a reconstitution uh, in our nation, and that's the level at which we are headed. So um, buckle up your seatbelts on your horse you're riding and uh, get ready to gallop and um, get your sword bloody in the spirit of God. Amen. And there you have it, dear listener, proof from Dr. Taylor that the GOP was in league with the new apostolic reformation to ensure that Biden would not get a presidential term. The thing to understand about Dutch Sheets is that he wanted to conquer the seven mountains as quickly as possible, and to him, January 6th was the best way to do it. On the morning of the insurrection, Dutch Sheets released the following statement. Today is one of the most critical days in our history. This past Sunday, my brother Tim Sheets said, Holy Spirit has sent out an air raid alarm. Many intercessors are hearing it. It is a serious and immediate warning to enter into fasting and prayer for America. 
God is letting me know, he says, that we were born for this exact time and he needs us on the wall now. Many thousands of people, perhaps up to a million, have gathered in Washington, D.C. today to intercede on site outside the U.S. Capitol building, a Jericho march around the Capitol and Supreme Court grounds and prayer in other locations. Whether you are physically there or not, pray today as if the life of our republic depends on it. Indeed, it does. To recap, that large group of prophets that went on the Reawaken America tour, they got millions of charismatic Pentecostal or NAR Americans to either attend the Capitol riot and do spiritual warfare while radicals on the far right raided the Capitol building to stop the certification of the 2020 election, or they were encouraged to pray in their homes in support to ensure Trump stays in office. When you look at a ton of pictures and videos of one of the craziest right-wing events in the last century's political history, You'll notice there are some crowds where there are hundreds of those white appeal to heaven flags with trees on them. And they're everywhere. This is a huge indication that Dutch Sheets has influenced charismatic evangelicals to do what they can in spiritual warfare to keep Donald Trump in the White House. Besides the gallows, the people climbing the walls, and the QAnon shaman and various individuals praying in the Senate chamber, Dutch Sheets had to call in on speakerphone, and his voice had to go through a megaphone as he prayed for peace and the violence to stop that day. This violence and the spirit of violence and the spirit of wrath does not produce righteousness. Take authority over it now. We declare peace over the Capitol grounds to stay. Amen. Okay, Lord, we just uh, come into agreement with those on the ground there in Washington. We ask you by your spirit to hover over the Capitol now and bring order uh, from the chaos. We ask that um, somehow the spirit of peace would invade the atmosphere and that the police would be able to do what they need to do without loss of life. Lord, we pray for all of our team, all of our friends there, we cover them. In Jesus' name, Psalm 91. This violence and the spirit of violence and the spirit of wrath does not produce righteousness. Take authority over it now. We declare peace over the Capitol grounds this day. Amen. Lord Jesus, we pray right now against the territorial spirits that have resided in this place. And Father, as you put the vision in my mind of the serpent that stretched out over the, the yeah, half here, half over there, with its tail over on the Senate. And Lord, you said, dispatch Michael and Gabriel to grab that by its tail and yank it out. Yank it out. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, if we have any request, any power to request this, Lord, we ask for your mighty angels to come this day at this moment in time and to pull by its tail these territorial spirits out of this building 
touring. Yank it right now, oh God. And though we see this violence or this these protests, I pray for going on right yeah. now, where yeah. we will not be distracted yes. from what the real issue is, and that is the territorial spirits that have been controlling the chambers of yes. our Congress. So in the name of Jesus, we pray against those territorial spirits. Yeah. Lord, we ask you, God of the heavens, Lord of the armies of heaven, dispatch your warriors today in order to take care of those territorial spirits, in order to see your destiny for this nation released. One could say that people were referencing the Revolutionary War. Wrong. People with the Appeal to Heaven flags posted themselves on social media with the captions quoting sheets on the January 6th Give Him 15 episode. The most disheartening thing that I've learned when it came to how Christian nationalist evangelicals were on that day was that there was a parlor video I saw where the Capitol Police were trying to fend off rioters. There was someone in the crowd with an Appeal to Heaven flag on a pole. He was angry. From his expression, I can tell that spiritual warfare for him wasn't enough. He started swinging, physically swinging at police, and trying to beat the living shit out of all the police officers that were there. There was also at least one Capitol rioter who went in with a flag as a cape. When police tried to arrest these folks, all they found were flags that were covered in blood and mace. This is where we are, dear listener. And this stuff has spread to Canada. Hello there, this is Aaron Parsons, the host of the podcast, and I just want to take some time to thank you very much if you've listened this far. Whether you're tuning in regularly on a weekly basis, or this is your first time hearing me, I'm popping in here because I need to express something personal for a moment. But I hate being that guy. Being autistic, I hate selling. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, but I have no choice. I'll try and keep this brief if I can. Me and my team, we've been running this project since November of last year, and not even four months in, and we're facing a big obstacle, which is keeping a studio home. In fact, this is the very last recording we're doing right now in this space. Long story short, our landlord's property is under new management, and it's affecting our future tenancy, so we have to move. To keep spirituality challenged going, we have until May to find a new place to live and until July to find a new place to record season two for the podcast. We have a few episodes coming out on a monthly basis until September, but we want to do this weekly. We have a passion for using history to speak truth to power. We have a passion to hold powerful religious people who want to take over the world accountable to how they harm marginalized folks. We eventually want to go full boots on the ground in big cities like Vancouver and Toronto with one mission, expose Christian nationalism in Canada. That's the big goal. And this podcast has helped people so far. It has been informal for family conversations. It's inspired people to take action. And it's given people hope and a new outlook on our politics today. 
You'll probably hear this a few more times while you're listening, and you'll probably become bored of my insepid droning about the sky falling and democracy dying, and how evangelicalism can hurt our society, etc, etc, but it's true. All of it's true. My wife and I, we're experiencing how bad things are getting personally, and this fight is getting harder and harder every single day with almost no other help from our immediate community. But we're not stopping. We're not giving up. But we need your help. Times are tough for us. I get it. We're in tax season, and who knows how much of a return each of us is going to get. We have children and grandparents and disabled family that we love that need cash. We have summer vacations, we have traveling, we have barbecues, Canada Day or the fourth coming up, and we want to host gatherings and spend enough money to make sure that our friends and family that attend are fed. But if you can, if you can spare just a little bit of cash, if you want to continue this quest with me to use history to answer why evangelicals are becoming so power hungry, if you want to help me continue to speak up against the religious right, the NAR, the Word of Faith churches, Plymouth Brethren, if you want to help me stop all these cults from taking over or allowing American Christianity to completely terminate freedom as we know it, Please make a donation to our GoFundMe today to help keep us running. If you read our GoFundMe page, we are literally ready to move to the front lines with this. Not just when it comes to podcasting, but when it comes to our jobs and doing activism in our spare time. Our link is in the show notes. Go check it out. And if you want to support us, you can do it in two ways. You can do it through GoFundMe or you can do it through the Bandcamp link that's also there. If this podcast really helped you, if this podcast was helpful with your education, or it helped you in discussions with conservatives like your Uncle Frank or Cousin Ray or whoever, check out the GoFundMe page and support us now. Alright, enough of the salesy stuff. I said it before, I hate being that guy. Let's go back to finishing our history lesson for today. While I can't name names, there are people in the New Apostolic Reformation in Canada that have put worship music over Freedom Convoy footage. Some of them did spiritual warfare in Ottawa. And like I said in a previous episode, someone from a church that I used to go to even tried to invite me to the convoy. And I knew the minute trucks started to head across the country, that even though there was no monetary foreign interference, the new apostolic reformation connections from America were entwined via social media, where people were cheering for something spiritual to happen to Justin Trudeau, just like they wanted to happen to Joe Biden. I wish the friends that I used to have will come to a deep understanding that we currently live in a weakening pluralistic democracy, thanks to crazy religions that used to be about caring for the world, but are now focused on power. I grew up being told that it was wrong to be uncomfortable, that we had to push back against racism and lack of diversity, and that God loves people that we disagree with. 
I had to learn, even through massive discomfort when I was a teen. There are many different kinds of people that live in this world. There are many different diverse groups of people who cooperate or compete for influence, policy, and representation on this very planet that we live in. In diverse societies, pluralism means there are different and even opposing views on most issues that we discuss in the public square. And we have to work through those differences without fighting or saying our opponents are demons or harmful just because they exist. Democracy is the system we have for managing those differences. And it just seems like everyone I talk to or encounter these days, they don't want it anymore. You're trans? You don't deserve to exist. You're into drag queens and stuff? Don't push your fucking views on my kid. I remember a time when Christians quietly would go to vote for what they see as the interests of Christianity. And people who don't stand for Christ, they will silently vote for things that oppose Christian values. That was just how it was. I remember when we all voted and we lived based on different values we individually have rather than voting to belong on the toughest team. I remember when we had values that didn't revolve around new age thinking or magical hope for a society that will never exist. Real freedom ensures that everyone deserves to vote based on their interests. Part of that freedom even ensures that Christians have permission to have power in political office. Evangelicals can have that power as long as they don't push their own kind of freedom exclusively for their groups and no one else. Real freedom also allows Christians in politics to share their faith, as long as they don't shove that faith in people's faces and put it down their throats if they disagree. Using a political platform as a soapbox for charismatic stuff or the new apostolic reformation, doing that contains an agenda. And that agenda is to take away certain freedoms from people who disagree with them. And that's what people who want the Seven Mountains mandate thing to go in their favor, that's what they want them to do. There was a poll taken where 20% of Americans, Christian or non-Christian, they wanted the Seven Mountains mandate thing to happen. But here's the thing, the standard I hold to, even as someone who has no hope in any of our government leaders, is that in a pluralistic democracy, there is a give and take. Sometimes liberals win in elections, and sometimes Republicans win in elections. Sometimes Democrats lose in elections, and on the slight occasion, Canadian Conservatives win elections. Sometimes policies go through, sometimes they don't. In any case, a healthy society works with the protections provided by pluralism for both majority and minorities in the system. I get that this kind of thing isn't perfect, especially when you bring corporations into it and how they've pretty much broke the system. But it seems like what many people want, even on the left, is much, much worse than the democracy we have right now. In a pluralistic society, democracy dictates that no single group of people gets to take over entire countries so they can build their own kingdoms. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the United States, Russia, North Korea, China, or American evangelical Christians. From here on, if any party right of center doesn't like an election, they're just gonna try to overturn it. 
and religious people will do their shaman thing just because they don't like the results. January 6th was just the beginning three years ago. This is how the right is going to operate until anyone they don't like is wiped clean off the face of this dying planet. The problem is that behind the so-called enemies or sinners or whatever Christians want to call people they don't like, behind the groups that the new neoliberal charismatic right wants to overtake with the Seven Mountains mandate, there are real people with real values, real experiences, and real identities. The reason it's hypocritical to get into all this Pentecostal shaman shit is because going on any kind of offensive, any kind of offensive, whether it's physical or even spiritual, it eventually always escalates to actual fucking murder and destruction, which is what your own Bible says in John 10.10 is what the devil does. What does it look like when groups like the GOP and the New Apostolic Reformation try to push the Seven Mountains mandate onto a pluralistic society? What does it look like when Christians physically try to fight and traumatize people who just want to live with their actions? What happens when people, not demons or spiritual entities or forces, but actual people with flesh and blood and democratic societies push back? It looks like terrorism. It looks like 1984. It looks like a handmaid's tale. It looks like the 99 versus the 1%. The democratic society that we know and love and grew up with as an ideal through the 70s to the 90s as we know it, it's coming to an end if people still continue to bring this kind of shame and spiritual warfare practice into diverse societies. And because I care about how other people react to this kind of thing, Having been personally traumatized myself, I'm scared of how politics and religion with shame and activities will go down in the next couple of years. Thank you for listening. Check out the full podcast series Charismatic Revival Fury by Drs. Matthew Taylor and Brad Onishi to understand the full story of the New Apostolic Reformation and January 6th. Next time on Spirituality Challenged, we're going to discuss the Word of Faith movement in one of the biggest churches in the center of Canada.